Good morning, Crossroads. <laughs> All right. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus way more than we love waiting for actual spring weather to arise. Quick question. Did anyone, based on the last couple of weeks where it was kind of warm, start doing any gardening stuff yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone upset that ground froze again? Yeah. Ah, okay, all right. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. As you're sitting down, uh, go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, there should be one under the seat in front of you, to the left of you, to the right of you, or somewhere, because we're getting ready to jump into another passage of Scripture. And if you are just joining us, we're in the second part of a series that we've been doing uh, called A Prayer Closet, where last week we spent a lot of time looking at uh, one particular verse focusing on the fact that we need to find a place for prayer. Uh, everyone needs to find some quiet place, this regular place where you go to and you can engage God uh, and, and bring your cares and share all that kind of stuff to him. Yeah, my error. Good morning, Cross. No, okay, we're not, we're, we're not going to back up that far. Okay, but uh, we're, we're in this prayer series, we've been talking about prayer, and we're, last week we were talking about the place for prayer, finding a place where you can go in and you can engage God and bring your cares to him and, and, and just have that level of intimacy because sometimes there are things that are going on in our lives where just praying for a few minutes, that just won't cut it. Uh, and this week we're going to focus not so much on the place, but the reason why there are times when, you know, just spending a few minutes just, hey, God, I need your help with this as you walk into the classroom or to work isn't going to cut it. Now, um, here's the verse that we dug into last week. Uh, don't turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, where if you're familiar with it, Jesus is giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount. There are people all over the hillside, and he is just sharing these things about how to live this Christian life. Right? Uh, while you're in the Bible, though, if you want to turn to 2 Kings, that's where we're going to jump to in a minute. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. If you actually start in the middle and go to, like, Psalms or Proverbs and start turning to the left, you'll probably hit it quicker. Or do what I do, go to the table of continents. But um, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, and when you pray, and the and is because it's not a different thing. It's in conjunction with everything that he talked about. He talked about loving your enemies. He talked about uh, forgiving people. He talked about giving to the poor and using your gifts and talents to help those in need. And this is not uh, something separate from that. It's in addition to. Jesus expected that we would do all of these things because they're part of living a Christian life, a life of a Christ follower. And he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And our word hypocrite is a word uh, that was used. They used it for an actor. And we said, it's today, it's people that are fake and that are phony. And we said, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have issues. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have stuff come up in your life. Uh, you know, that's why one of our models is real people, real life, real life issues in the presence of a real God. Uh, but he said, 
do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And that, that was kind of like, ugh, because what he's saying is the fake and phony people that pretend they got it all together, uh, all that kind of stuff, they're not only outside the church, they're also inside the church. And here's, here's the thing. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. God doesn't want us to stay burdened by all these issues. That's why he created this thing called the church. One of the greatest assets that we have is God's Holy Spirit within us. The other greatest asset that we have is another spirit-filled believer to come alongside us, to encourage us, to help us through these things that come up in life. Uh, But he says, for they pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And their reward is the attention of other people that say, oh, look, you can pray for hours or, oh, look, you can pray through anything and all this stuff. And it's great when people are standing there just saying all these words. Uh, Jesus is like, hey, that means absolutely nothing. What he wants to hear is from your heart. And he says, verse 6, but when you pray, so we're not supposed to be fake, we're not supposed to be phony, we're not supposed to be like the hypocrites. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Our reward is not, hey, everyone's seeing us and thinking, oh, you're a prayer warrior or anything like that. Our reward, the, the, the natural result of that endeavor, which is what the word reward means uh, in the Greek, the natural result of that endeavor, our natural result of going into our prayer closet and praying to God, this God who we can't see, is that we get immediate intimacy with God. We immediately get the attention of the creator of the universe. And it's not that he's not aware of what's happening, but then if you can imagine a parent, like I said last week, a parent who stops everything they're doing and then focuses on, okay, Johnny, what do you want? God sits and says, okay, Floyd, what do you want? What's going on now? I immediately get his attention. That is the natural endeavor of going into my prayer closet, shutting out everything, and spending time with God. Uh, so, And this is what we said. Jesus, we summarized it this way. Jesus said, go into your prayer room. In the King James Version, I think it says prayer closet. Some other versions say closet. It was a word that meant a hidden storage room. And it's where you would put all your valuables. And for us, that's the garage. That's where we've got all of our valuable stuff um, or wherever you store your stuff. Uh, For them, it was a hidden cellar where they would put valuables. So if the village was raided, like you'd hide your children there, your wife there, some food and all that kind of stuff, so that, you know, if they came and took everything out of the house, they wouldn't find that hidden room because that's where you put your valuables. And the idea is that we, the church, we need to assign value to spending time with God. Prayer doesn't need to be something we add on to the beginning or end of a Sunday celebration. It needs to be something that we value and that we're going to prioritize and make sure that we make time to do it. So he says, go into your prayer closet and close the door, meaning, hey, this is not, this is not a time where I'm going to interact with everybody else. It's a time where I'm just going to focus on God. Spending time with you, that's going to be my priority. Now, for me, I... I used to be able to get up early in the morning and I'd go through and I'd do all my, you know, my Bible study and my reading and uh, my devotions, not related to sermon prep, just stuff for me. And then I would have time to pray. 
But now Christy gets up at like zero dark 30 to go to her job. And, and so I have to wait until she leaves the house because once she gets up, she wants to talk. She's like, oh, my day's going to be this. And she's flying back and forth to get ready to go out the door and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of like in the corner trying to stay out of her way. And then once she leaves, okay, great. She's gone. The house is quiet. I can spend time just me and God praying and, and in, you know, laying out the cares of my heart, just me and him. All right? So he says, go into your prayer room or closet, close the door, and here's the key thing, pray in faith. Now, in your Bible, it doesn't say pray in faith. It says pray to your father who is unseen, and your father who is unseen will reward you. And some versions say will reward you openly to contrast the unseen and the seen. Uh, what it literally is saying, hey, we can't pray to this God because we don't see him, but we're praying in faith. I don't have the ability to say, hey, God, here's my list of things I need you to do, things I'm struggling with, people I want you to heal, and hand it over and have him literally take it from my hand and say, like, I'm good, okay? I've got a receipt. I know you've got it. But I am praying in faith that God is going to do what I asked him to do. And sometimes we don't get an immediate response that, yeah, God's going to do it even though we get the immediate, through God's Holy Spirit, reward of personal interaction with God. All right? So what I want to do is show you in the Bible the life of someone who kind of did this literally because of situations in his life, had to stop, go back, and pray. And it wasn't just, hey, a family member's hurt. It wasn't just, hey, like, I need to get another job. Uh, this was like huge earth-shattering stuff, not to say that those things aren't, because when they happen to us, they are to us. Uh, but turn to the book of Second Kings, Second Kings. And while you're there, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background, okay? In the book of Second Kings, uh, the northern um, part of the nation of Israel, it had been split in two. It had been that way for several generations. There is the northern part which is called Israel, and then the southern part, (coughs) which is called the kingdom of Judah. Now, these are kingdoms. We're not used to kingdoms. We're used to, like, democracy and and states and uh, municipalities and um, maybe a kingdom in your home, your little area, like my kingdom would be my cell phone. That's, That's all the authority I have in my house. But Here, these are people who, what they say goes over the entire domain or area. So there's two nations, uh, the nation of Israel, which was one, which we know, you know, David was king and then Solomon was king. And after Solomon, it split. We're several generations past that now. There's the northern kingdom. There's the southern kingdom. There is a 25-year-old young adult who becomes king of the southern nation of Judah. Now, not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Think about some 25-year-olds that you know. Just think of the way they drive. And now think about them running like this nation. Some of the things. Now, I don't know if you, no, I don't want to get into that. Okay, just, just think about it. I'm trying to stay away from the political stuff because we can go. Blah, blah, blah. But uh, just think about some young adults being in charge of the nation, putting the laws in place determining what your tax rates will be, trying to interact with other nations and and, and all of that stuff. 25-year-old, young adult, his name is Hezekiah, and this is what the Bible says about him. In 2 Kings, uh, drop down to verse 3, chapter 18, verse 3. This is what the Bible says about him. Now, this is what 
I mean, he's 25 years old. He's a young adult. Uh, this is what God wanted recorded about him for us to know, right? Verse 3, he, meaning Hezekiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, his father David was not his literal father. Uh, this is many generations after David, but he was a descendant of David, so he was royalty, a descendant of the king, monarchy, uh, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Now, Asherah poles, how can I say this? Uh, I can't say it in a clean way. So um, they were shaped like body parts. And I'll leave it at that. You got you to go there on your own. They were shaped like body parts, and people would worship in front of them. I'll, I'll just leave it like that. He broke those down. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made up to the time the Israelites had been burning, till that time Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. And what this was, was um, when the Israelites were in the desert under Moses, uh, snakes came in and had bitten everyone and a plague went throughout, a poisonous plague went throughout the nation. And so Moses, God told Moses, make this, take this bronze thing and hold it up. And everyone that looked up at the snake, they were healed. Snake had nothing to do with it. It was all God. But what they had done is kept this, and they had started worshiping it. So what this 25-year-old young adult does when he takes over the nation and says, hey, we have to turn the nation back to God. Awesome. Not too many 25-year-olds today that that would be the first priority is saying, hey, I'm now in charge. We must turn the nation back to God. Right? So that's what he does. He was faithful, God-honoring, but the neighboring nation of Israel was not as God-honoring. He's the king over Judah. He says, we've got to turn it back to God. Uh, you can keep reading, but I'm going to put it up here. Uh, here's what happened to the neighboring nation. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, now the years are not like starting in January, ending in December, and all that stuff. Uh, so they don't, it may seem like they don't exactly match up, but they do if you go back and include the month when these guys started. But in King Hezekiah's fourth year, now he's 29, he's got a little bit of time under his belt. Fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel. So now here's the neighboring kingdom, and this is this guy's seventh year. Shalmanasser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it, right? So there's the king of this land called Assyria. Assyria is now what we would call modern-day Iraq, that whole area. Assyria became the kingdom of Babylon, which became the Medo-Persian Empire, all that good stuff, all right? So uh, the king of Assyria marched against Samaria. Samaria was the capital for the northern kingdom of Israel. Stay with me. This, this gets put. Anybody watch Game of Thrones? Okay, you should. It's all this. All right, anyway, uh, so there's this, because it's that, that time period, that kind of thing. It's a different time. But okay, anyway, so he marched against Samaria, laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. Now, today, you'll hear on the news that, you know, um, you know, ISIS has taken this city, and then, no, this city's got taken back. That happens in days or weeks. This took years because they didn't have, like, tanks and all this stuff, and they couldn't get past the fortified walls. So basically, they would keep shooting, try to kill everybody, and wait everybody out. Surround it, wait everybody out till they were out of food. Three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. So here's this king. He's, 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 he's sitting on the seat of one of... 
not the most anymore, one of the most powerful nations on the planet. He's trying to turn it back to God, and he sees the sister nation crumble. And here's what the Bible says. It says the king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria, the northern nation, and put them in Halah and Gozan on the harbor river and in towns of the Medes. And this is important. It says this happened, the this being why that nation fell, because they, the people in that nation, had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant. All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. And that's crucial for us because despite what you hear, we are a nation that was formed based on saying we are going to be obedient to God. And if you look throughout the Bible, every nation, every single one without fail, that either came up against God or submitted to God but then violated that covenant with God, ceased to exist. They do not exist anymore. If they do exist, they exist as a small tourist attraction because God is not guaranteed to keep his sovereign love and authority over a nation that rejects him whole different sermon, but let me finish. So they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. So he watches, and he sees that his, his, his neighboring nation, literally a sister nation because they're Israelites too, that they fall. Now, for us, if you could imagine, granted, Canada is not our sister nation, but they're our sister nation to the north, okay? Imagine if, like, Putin... Russian guy, gone mad. Like he's like, I want the Ukraine. And I read, uh, uh, saw an article I think earlier this week where he was trying to enforce and come up against the Balkans and he's just got uh, power hungry. Fine, that's, that's him. But imagine if, as we're sitting here, all of a sudden he looks at Canada and says, I want that, mine. And he takes it over. I mean, we think, hey, you know what, that's, 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 like, are we next? Let me bring it down to another level. Take outside of nation. Imagine your neighbor who you work with at so-and-so place or in so-and-so community, and they lose their house. And then the guy next to them, they lose their house. And then your job, your boss calls you in and says, hey, we're having layoffs. And you're like, am I next? Have you ever had to sit and watch either a family or a friend go through like a harsh like thing that shook the core of that family? And I don't know how many of you have ever lost a job or, or, or had something like that happen, uh, but it's not an easy thing uh, to endure. And sometimes we think that being a Christ follower means that we are not going to have to go through any struggles. God does not promise us that. But what he does promise is that when we go through a struggle, he will be with us. And those are those times when we have to go into our closet, close the door, and pray in faith. You know what, God? I need you more than ever. All right, so this is, this is what happens next. Drop down to verse 13, uh, chapter 18, verse 13. This is what happens next. 
In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So this is like eight years later, same nation, Assyria, different king. And he does say, you know what? I've got the northern kingdom of Israel. I want the southern kingdom too. And he attacks. And he attacks and he takes all of the fortified cities uh, that are on the outskirts of the kingdom. He takes them all. They become his. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. And the king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, like $6 million today, 30 talents of gold, which is like $41 million today. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. Verse 16 At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. So here it comes. Hey, that was happening to my neighbor. My neighbor was dealing with some big issues. Wasn't happening to me. I'm still praising God. But then when it came to him, here was a guy who was praising God, who was worshiping God, who was faithful to God. And then when the trouble came, he started robbing God. All the things that were supposed to go to worship, he devoted those to, I've got to deal with this issue. And this is, this is um, uh, huge depending upon where you are in your walk with God. Because there are some people early on in their walk, uh, yeah, something comes up, God gets moved on to the you know, background because i got to focus on this. But what Jesus was telling us about entering your prayer closet is rather than taking the things that are devoted to God, your time, your treasure, your talent, and devoting them to your issue, go into your prayer closet, close the door, and spend some time with God, praying in faith, God, I need you now more than ever. Now, here's a summary real quick of what happened. The king of Assyria sends this guy, sends a messenger who sends a letter to Hezekiah, and he starts, uh, he's literally standing outside the walls, and he says, basically, this is what he says, you're going down. Your sister nation went down. You're going down next. There is absolutely, positively nothing that you can do. You are going down. And Hezekiah goes, and he prays, Right? He goes up to the temple and he prays and he sends, he sends word to Isaiah the prophet and says, hey, what do you got to say about this? You and God are close. What do you have to say about this? And there are times when you guys, because I get calls every now and then, where when something big and major is going on in your life, people think, I need to go talk to the pastor because he's got all the answers. And you're right. We do. But <laughs> as long as they're coming from here. If you come see me about anything and I'm telling you anything that contradicts what is in here, run, because I do not know what I'm talking about. If I'm trying to tell you based on here is what I think and it contradicts what God says, do not listen to me. That's when you need to sit me down and say, hey, you know what, Floyd? It's okay to not be okay, but God doesn't want you to stay that way. You need to spend a little bit more time in God's word, all right? Now, uh, here's what happens next. Isaiah sends word to Hezekiah, uh, and he basically says, God has got this. God's going to take care of it. God is in control. God is sovereign. And then he gets a letter 
It says this. Turn to chapter 19. He gets another letter that says this. Chapter 19, verse 9. Now, Sennacherib received a report that Tirhaka, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. He says, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. He says basically, don't let your God fool you when your God tells you he's got this. And I don't know about you, have you, you don't have to raise your hand, have you ever like talked to someone maybe at your work or whatever and, and they, you say, yeah, I'm going through the struggle and they're like, what are you doing about it? And you're like, I'm praying about it. And they say, why in the world are you praying? And I had a situation where I was talking to a doctor, um, a psychiatrist uh, about something and they were asking me, why are you doing, I'm not crazy. Uh, they're asking me, why in the world, you know, are, are you praying about this? And this is what he said, and it kind of shocked me a little bit. He said, do you really expect God to answer you? And he was totally serious, like, do you expect that some unknown being is going to answer you? And my response was, if there's a God of the universe who created all this, wouldn't you expect him to answer I mean, if God created you, created all this, and put you here, yeah, I expect to hear from him. But this is, this is what else he says. He says, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the king, kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? The gods of Gozen, Haran, Rezepah, and the people of Eden who were in Telesir? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, or of Hena, or Iva? This is, this is kind of funny to me because basically he says, hey, you think that God's going to save you. God didn't save them. He didn't save them. He didn't save them. And these people who had this God, he didn't, their God didn't save them. Their God didn't save them. Their God didn't save them. And basically, he's saying, you're next. Your situation is next. Now, this is pretty cool. Uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up because this is what he says. Uh, he says, basically, no matter what your situation is or no matter what you think you can do, I've got history and experience on my side. I've taken down all these other nations. I've taken down your sister nation. You're no better than them. And this is cool because this is, this is, this is again, put this up really quick. This is when, and we're going to see this in a minute, this is when you have to go into your prayer room, close the door, and pray in faith. This is where the faith part comes in because it's really easy for me to pray in faith when I can see a tangible answer to my problem. When I can see, you know what, God? There's a couple of job openings. I haven't had a job for a while. I'm going on the interviews. All I need for you to do is get me the job. I can see that. When I can see, you know what, God? Uh, marriage isn't going that great. But she thinks this. I think that. You just need to get us, let us sit down and communicate. I can see how these things are resolved. 
But when there's an army of 100,000 people standing at your door saying, you're going down, after you paid them too, it wouldn't be so bad if you didn't pay, you'd already paid them. After you paid them, and they're like, you're going down, and you see no way out, that's when God shows up. Now, uh, I'm going to close with this really quick. We're going to run through a lot of verses. Drop down to verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. He basically took the letter that says you're going down, went into the temple, made that his prayer closet, spread it out before God, and in verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth even the ones that don't submit to your name. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. Now, it, it's pretty clear that God, God has a, a lot of options, a lot of things that he can do, but he ended up, he ended up resolving this whole issue and wiping out the entire army. And also, uh, I'm, uh, this may sound cruel, but he also, uh, uh, let me turn to this. He also put a cap on the whole kings trying to, like, the whole kings trying to come and kill him. Just turn over to verse 32, because this is God's response. This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. This is God's response to Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah. Verse 32, he says, he will not, meaning Hezekiah and his army, enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Because of the covenant that God had with David. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to be arrogant or proud, but it would be really cool to me if when my kids went to pray to God, and God said, yes, I'm going to do that because I'm really close to your dad. And you guys have, I mean, that sounds arrogant, but you guys have, have you ever had to go to someone and say, hey, can you do such and such for me? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know your parents. Yeah, I met them. I used to go to school with them or this, that, and the other. So, yeah, what do you need? I'm willing to help you because of that relationship, because of that level of intimacy, because David consistently, David was somebody who messed up left and right but had a heart that loved God that he would go into his prayer closet, close the door, say, God, I messed up big time. I need you to help me make this right. I need you to do some work in me. All right, so now uh, let me close with this. Let me close with this. And I'm going to put this last verse up here on the screen. And as I do, I want you guys to read this along with me because this is pretty cool. One more time, Hezekiah went into his prayer closet. Second Kings chapter 20, just read this up here with me. In those days, this is shortly after God had done everything for him, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, hey, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. 
and, and that's crucial. It's one thing, you know, God has said, hey, I'm, I'm going to save this entire nation. I'm going to protect you. And God did that. You helped. You secured my job. You didn't let me lose my house. But now, God, this isn't about my job. This isn't about my house. This is about me. I'm dying. I need a God-sized miracle to intervene in my life. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. This is, in in those days, that was a sign of, hey, isolation, turning around and saying, hey, I'm I'm, going to, if if it were now, it would be the equivalent of me stopping what I'm doing, turning my face to the wall, and just praying, God, I need you. And this is what he prayed. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Before he had walked out into the parking lot to get in his car on the way home, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And on the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. In other words, not only am I going to heal you, I'm going to extend the time that you're going to be able to serve me, that we're going to be able to have that intimacy, intimacy together, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, my servant David. This is the case for those times when there are things that are overwhelming, where there's no logical answer. These are the times where, and I know Diana, Diana said a couple of weeks ago, like it's great when we can spend time in our car and we can listen to Christian music and sing along, or we, we can spend time in our car and pray. How many of you guys listen to talk radio, Christian talk radio in your car? And I listen to podcasts in my car, but there's some times where I need to turn the music over, turn the music off, pull the car over, and say, God, I need you now more than ever. And that immediate intimacy comes because God knows our problems. He knows our situations. He knows our issues. He knows what we're dealing with. And he responds to us in a place of need. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And we're going to sing this song. It was, it was pretty cool because yesterday I went down to, uh, I just drew a blank on the name of it, uh, for men only, Pittsburgh. It was a faith-based Steelers event where they had some of the uh, Steelers that were Christ followers and they were sharing their testimony and there were literally hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of guys there of all ages. I mean, from like guys in their 80s and 90s to guys that were like, you know, nine and 10 years old. I mean, they were listening to these stories of all of these guys talking about their struggles and their issues and their faith and how despite the limelight, Everything that they do boils down to putting their faith and trust in God. And it was cool because one of them said uh, he was talking about a story that impacted him so much in his life. And it was because normally you think, you know, there's a lot of Christian actors and sports figures. But they don't show it because they don't want to get like ostracized and they don't want to lose their spot in the limelight. But, uh, and I forget which one it was, but he said, hey, 
I was looking for a time to shine the spotlight on my love of God so that not only the people in the locker room could see, but so that the fans could see. I want everyone to know, media, it doesn't matter, that I have an intimate, passionate relationship with God. And when I was praying through this series, I had actually picked out a whole different scenario to talk about, and God kind of put it on my heart before I went down to four men only, that, hey, we need to focus on this guy because, guys, sometimes we have this thing where when you say, you know, a guy is intimate, we tend to think that that means that a guy is weak. And I think that, that I can't remember his name, but he couldn't have said it better that the strongest thing that we as guys that are Christ followers can do is let people in our circles of influence know that we have a passionate and intimate relationship with God. That not only do I know him, but he knows me. He knows my name. He knows my struggles. He knows my issues. He knows I'm not perfect. He knows I mess up. And he loves me anyway. So as we sing this song, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to pray in a minute, but as we sing this song, uh, just think about the time that we spend with God. And are there things that we're dealing with that we need to take to a, another level and go into our prayer closet and close the door and pray in faith, God, I need you now more than ever. God, you are truly worthy of praise for the love that you give us, for the mercy that you show to us, for the blood that you allow to be poured out for us. God, we want to walk out of here not just being able to spend time together praying and lifting up our voices to you, but knowing that when we leave this place and face all the issues that are going on in our world, all the tragedies we see on the news, all the things that we're struggling with in our life, that we can go to a place, close the door, and pray in faith to the God who not only hears us, but answers our prayers. And for that, we give you praise. God, we pray that you would bless us as we go. We pray that as we leave this place, we would do so knowing that we walk away being loved by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.